Dear Lord God, we are very grateful for your mercies to us. We're grateful for your word. We'd ask that we'd be faithful to it. In your son's name, amen. I've been thinking about this subject for a number of weeks now because it, it's, uh, it's come up in a variety of topics. But as, I, as you know, at the big house, I can get into an argument about just about anything. And it is my general belief that, as you know, our motto at the big house is, it's the thought that counts. That there is thought behind everything, even things that, even people who are irrational um, have just really bad thought. And not only is it the thought that counts, but there are certain topics that are, are major in your thought. And we don't spend enough time obeying the Lord's teaching about those areas. So we're looking at Luke 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together that they trod upon one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Always scared the bejeebies out of me as a kid. <laughs> and we look at that and smile, yeah, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Because everyone in this nation who is righteous, they think they're all righteous. Look at the Pharisees and go, what hypocrites. Look at the, say, the evangelical church, what hypocrites. Yeah, sure, I do all sorts of grave sins, but they're hypocrites. Now, I want you to you know, be ready to condemn the hypocrisy of the Pharisees right along with Jesus. But nothing is covered up. And uh, we all probably know what we've covered up. Each of us. We haven't shared it with each other because it's embarrassing what we've covered up. Um... And we've done all sorts of bad things. Some of you, some of you maybe deserve to be arrested. That kind of cover-up. Like you deserve to be in the pen down in CUNA. But nobody knows. The rest of you, I mean, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite, have done something else. So I'm going to pick on, I don't know, the moms. Because, you know, Christianity is largely about the peace of God, right? Forgiveness of sin, life eternal, brings about the peace of God in your life. And you know what kind of behavior when you walk in the door of the church, because it's a magical place, is, is to become all intact spiritually. Embracing one another Smiling, rejoicing. Men will cover up the fact that they murdered their neighbor and buried his body in the back 40. We hide those things. We robbed a bank, we hid the money because we cover up our sins. But this passage is about fear. And, frankly, most of the modern civilized world runs on that stuff. 
I mean, it runs on it. Do you realize how quickly international conflict, medical costs, environmentalism would all just stop? Just stop. You wouldn't care if you didn't fear. Okay? You wouldn't be, we wouldn't have high medical costs if there was not fear. You wouldn't be able to overrule the freedoms of everybody else in your nation because you're scared of plastic straws going up the nose of a turtle. I don't care. I don't want to say you say, well, nose of a turtle, don't you care about God's your stewardship for his creation? No, I do not, because I am not afraid. I'm not a turtle, that's why I'm not in danger. Plastic straws. We run a lot of things on the nature of fear. We, 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 we just accommodate it. We think it is responsible. We have different word, words for it. Now, I want to just in part, this is just a, a partial examination. Just going through this chapter, chapter 12, he says in the next verse, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. And after that, could do no, no more than they can do. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So what you say, Evan, you're not really against fear. Yeah, I'm not really against fear. Because what, what's wrong with your fear? You're too concerned for your existence, your body, your pain, your pleasure, your career, your money, your little Johnny who's trying to grow up and you want him to go to a good school and now your mom's going to jail for trying to bribe somebody to get the kid to Stanford. Now, fear does a lot of things. Because little Johnny's not that bright. Little Johnny can't get to Stanford. But your husband makes a lot of money so you can pay somebody. We're concerned more about the body. We're concerned more about this, our physical experience. And there's nothing we can do. I, I've told you before. It wins. It kills you. Mark Miller just passed away. I have not much time. I just turned 65. I know, I'm looking very youthful for 65. Very youthful. They've been comparing me to Chonky Tom there in the back. Uh, we look alike because we're both very youthful. And you'll get to the point, believe me, it speeds up. Any, ask any person with gray hair in this room who you suspect has gray hair in this room. And they'll tell you, it goes by like lightning. The weeks, the months, the years. And suddenly you're dying. And guess what? You can't do anything about it. It's going to kill you. So, afraid for your body? The bodies of those that you love? With God you fear he who made heaven and earth and made all the bodies and has has either 
you, you got this, cho this choice between a stupid self-interest, you know, it's ineffective, you can't do anything about it, you try to stare down the cancer, you try to stare down whatever it is that's going at, coming after you, or the benevolent God who is perfect. Him I fear because everything that I fear is subject to him, and he is smart, and he is good. So my fear is immediately rewarded with his promises and his, his grace and his, the, the realization that it's a, uh, a good thing he wishes to do that I could not do. God can work you over. I warn you who to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast you into hell. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now it's amazing here when he's telling us, you know, warning us about our normal fears, the fears that are, we're covering up when we treat each other and we don't realize how anxious. Ladies, especially, you know, this is, men can be anxious as well, but, but I've heard enough from Christians. Ladies, do you, does your husband know more about your anxiety and what you struggle with than anybody else? Maybe some of your close friends may know about your anxious moments. Are you covering something up that needs to be addressed because it is not the fear of the Lord, it's the fear for your body. It's the fear for the things that you love as body. It's fear for the things you cannot keep. And we don't realize that our God cares about the sparrows. He keeps track of what's going on in his world. And that for me to turn to my fears and try to arrange my life in such a way that I don't, um, I don't have anything to fear anymore. I, I create this circumstance where I make enough money and I get enough, I get enough uh, exercise in and I, I do enough things that I, I won't die of a heart attack, then you die of a heart attack. I have to turn away from God to do that. You're going to attend to one or the other, either your stupid self-interest or his perfect benevolence. Decide. Years ago, I was speaking about similar things, and I, I was talking about going to an insurance salesman. It says, always figure out how much you're going to trust God before you talk to the salesman. Figure out who you fear before you go out the front door. Now, Most of this has to do with kind of warning the disciples directly. It is not a, a broad uh, uh, promises to everybody that they, they get taken care of by Jesus directly where the apostles would be. Um, but the concepts are still there. This fear of persecution, it causes people to turn away. You see that in the parable of the sower, that the 
uh, um, rocky ground where persecution rises up and chokes off the seed from being fruitful. Because people are concerned with their body in a negative way. They don't want to be hurt. The other kind, the uh, thorny ground, the cares of this world and the delight and riches choke them off and keep them from being fruitful. Two of the things that touch the body. You might be in a situation, you might live in China and persecution happens. And so you're too afraid to stand up for Jesus Christ because of it. You will turn away from God because you fear self-interestedly and even God can't stand against it. This needs repentance. Because he warns you, if you don't acknowledge, if you acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge you before you, you before the angels of God. If you don't, he who denies you before men will be denied before the angels of God. Do you want that? Do you realize there's a price to pay? Not just that I get an ulcer. Not just that I, I get age lines a little quicker than I wanted to. It's not just that, that I worry myself sick when little Johnny goes off to college and and lives in a fraternity. You've got all sorts of things to worry about. It's not just that. You had to turn away from the living God. You had to. His perfect benevolence and his judgment of all that you fear enables you to stand in all those situations. That's who you fear. You had to stop fearing him. And then it warns you, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You all have probably at some point in your Christian lives thought about that passage. I wonder if I did that. I wonder if I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I get asked that probably more than, probably almost the most biggest question ever asked to me in my life as a minister. What do you think the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is? What you're doing? No! I can't be forgiven! I want you to realize, I'm not going to tell you what it is, because <laughs> I'm mean. Um, I want you to realize that little bit of fear that you have that maybe I did it. Meditate on that a little bit. You've got to stop thinking about your little arrangement of life with your stupid self-interest and your concern that your foot hurts and maybe it's the cancer. And start thinking about whether or not you've turned your back on God. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious how or what you are to answer or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you want to say. Well, the disciples in these persecuted moments are being promised all sorts of whiz-bang capabilities. But we have that kind of God. Whatever degree, he is there for you in a moment where you stand for the kingdom, giving you, you don't have to plan the perfect apologetic. You'll, it will be given to you. I'm not saying you get to write that check anytime you want. But you have to have that kind of tranquility about the circumstance. These are people who are going to their deaths for what they say. 
It's not just that you might lose your job at Starbucks if they find out you're a Christian. Because Christians don't believe in, you know, the fun sins, which I gather is changing your sex to something else. I don't know if I'm still allowed to say that's wrong. It is Idaho, but it is Moscow. So it's wrong. One of the multitudes said to him, this is right in the middle of this, right in the middle of this, teacher, bid my brother divide an inheritance with me. It's amazing to me, not just that the, that the, the narrative goes on this way. I mean, people are just coming to see Jesus so much. You've been in that kind of concert before where people are stepping on each other. They trod on one another. Big crowd. Time for questions. Jesus says that they little. I just talked to you about fear. Time for questions. Some complete tool. I want my stuff more than my brother is trying to cheat me. Bid my brother divide the inheritance with me. Jesus, I want you on my side. Tell him what to do because Lord knows I want half that inheritance. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Our Lord, am I going to get electrocuted? Because it sounds like I'm about to die. Which would be effective, convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Um, we shall see whether or not uh, okay a scientist has come up to the uh, hello 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 is that better is it this one maybe the people who undid that one came over here and did something over here I'm going to go look who knows this is a jury rigged together so stereo speakers Okay, we're on. Thank you, John. That's all on SoundCloud. You get to listen to that little moment. Oh, what a natural bunch of people. Let's ignore what they said. But right after he says, after this guy comes up, he can't get his mind off of. And have you ever done that? Where part of your cover-up is trying to turn a very anxiety-driven, fear-driven question into a spiritual question you can ask the special speaker of afterwards so you can get some, make some headway about your fears and your anxieties. Just to stop people, do you think such and such? What do you think about this? Have I committed the, what is it, unforgivable sin? The next thing he says, verse 15, he says, I, you know, I don't think I'm in charge of that. But you, maybe we all think, since all of our happiness and all of our sense of well-being is how many dollars in our monthly salary, how healthy we are, we worry about those who can kill the body. And the Lord's going, you know, I really am not that interested in your question, fella. 
You know why I'm not interested in that question? Verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of all covetousness. You're that guy who just stood up in the crowd. Everybody's jostling for room. Question, time for questions are open up. You asked the question. You thought to yourself, boy, what a sensible question this was. It's responsible. It's justice. I need Jesus Christ to tell my brother, who's about 40 feet away, to share the inheritance with me. And the Lord says, I don't think I want to talk about that, but let's talk about you. Beware of all covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, we're not just being all, you know, monastic and let's all be giddy up and stuff. It just doesn't consist in that. Which means it also doesn't consist in you not having stuff. If you're thinking about not having it and you're thinking about having it, if your path to peace is, is as important to you that you don't have because it proves something about your soul, or that you think that, well, God's blessing is on me if I have stuff. And he told a parable. And you know this parable. The land of a rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul... How many of you are planning to say this to your soul? When you got it worked out, I'm, I'm sure this church has a great retirement plan because I would like to retire. I'm 65, right? I'm supposed to retire. Does anybody know what the retirement plan is? The retirement plan is you get to keep preaching till you have that heart attack in the pulpit. That's what you get to do. We would love to say to your soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Have you seen that 401k? Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. Now, as you know, anyone who knows me, Kevin, you are not a slacker in being merry. And obviously, eating. You like ease. I sit in my chair in my library. At ease. I love that kind of tranquility. I think this describes the life that we all sort of picture in our head that we think we can buy with our concern. Our effort, our anxiety, our pointedness to this. Because what happens is God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. Not only are you going to die, but it might be a really big surprise. Wouldn't you like to die? 95, you and the wife lying in the big California king's size bed, which we can't have because it won't fit in our room. So queen-size bed, we're both lying there, we're both in our 90s. We both develop a little cough. <coughs> the time has come, my dear. Let's phone the children. Children come over, they stand around our beds, we bless them. And the hand drops graciously to the surface of the sheets, starched sheets. 
and we're gone. Into glory, into our reward. Don't you all want to go that way? Yeah, you don't get to. It's going to be some horrible screaming moment as you plummet off the side of a cliff in your four-wheeler because you're out shooting God's creatures. Maybe. Or you'll choke on a bit of kale down at the co-op because that's what you deserve this afternoon. But I was going to the co-op and I was going to get some kale. No one likes kale, don't order it. You're only pretending. But it will kill you. And God doesn't care. This guy had a perfectly good plan. He had done well. He was already rich. Hey, his field brought forth plentifully. What would you do? You would build bigger barns too, wouldn't you? The problem is not the bigger barns, nor that the fields were plentiful, nor that he was already rich, nor that he would like to eat, drink, and be married. None of that's the problem. There's a moment when your anxiety and concern for your advancement in those areas, because you think that is the advancement of satisfaction and, and uh, uh, creation of the ease that you need, the peace that you need, you have turned your back on the things that should really be feared. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It doesn't condemn someone who lays up treasure for himself. It, it condemns somebody who is laying up treasure for himself who is not rich towards God. If you keep your faith in the Lord and your fear of God ordinately higher than everything else, you don't get to, you know you don't get to, run around in a state of worry. You just go about your work, you make your money. If, you make, if you're smart and you're capable, you'll make a lot. And you'll be sitting at table with the family, waiting to die, happy, not afraid. Having all the things the rich fool had, perhaps, perhaps not. But in either case, are you afraid because you have feared God first? If you lay up treasure, if you are rich towards God, rather than covetous, because with covetousness you're trying to purchase, purchase your happiness. It speaks about, uh, we've been reading through the Space Trilogy at uh, the Big House. Wednesday nights. We just started Paralander, but we just finished Out of the Silent Planet. And if you remember in there, there's uh, two bad guys, one Weston and one um, a Divine. And they're trying, they're bad people. And Divine is, um, uh, Divine is a uh, hail fellow well met. But the god of the planet Mars is um, describes him as dead already because he just lives according to his urge. Everything he's doing that's wrong is for him to get ways to pay for his urges to be met. And when we turn away from God because we don't fear him 
and we fear everything in the world, we start building these little kingdoms where we end up sinning too because we don't fear God anymore because I had to fear the earth too much, my bodily concerns I had to fear. Because we're in the business of collecting, paying out, saving up so the urge can be met. Not just the positive urge, not just that I can buy wine, wisdom, and song and the four-wheeler on which I shall die, but to stop the negative threat. Remember, there are people who are afraid in the negative or what will happen. So they're visiting the doctor every, you know, six months. I really am going to just sort of keel over because I haven't been to the doctor probably in, what do you think, honey, 15 years? Probably 15 years. Glenda chases me around to the church and gives me medical advice, but other than that, I have none. So I'll just die, right here. But, there could be even in that kind of cavalier notion, that doesn't mean it's right, because the fear towards God is what you have to replace it with. Not just, you know, I'm just too much of a stoic. Stoicism is no replacement for fear towards God. The fact that you are naturally unconcerned, and I would probably be in that category. It's not piety, it's just lazy. It's a long way to the doctor's office. And it's like going to the mechanic. He will find something wrong with your car. Just saying. But here, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious for your life. What you shall eat, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Now this is the, the you are not allowed, it's, it, you're allowed to have those things, you need them to live, right? And if the clothing part, you need them to not be arrested. But unless you have a belief that life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Where we're talking is not that we're, we're trying to become completely disinterested and non-participant in things like money, clothing, um, uh, the arts, all the other things that are good in this life. We're supposed to be in those things completely, um, you might say, not dependent upon them. They are not there to make you happy. God is there to make you happy. Life is more than food. Do you live that way? Do you realize that I, I try to watch commercials because it gives you a sense of the state of the age and you begin to realize that one, people don't know what food tastes like because they're selling you every sort. I, you, I don't remember, have you, have you tried those get your meals in the mail sort of thing? They send you the, you know, a piece of asparagus that's all cut up. Oh no, you get to cut it up. Um, and what else do they send you? Just awful, probably, just awful. Stofers without being prepared. We're all about those things. 
I developed a, a fondness for Kraft macaroni and cheese. I forget what year that was, but Leslie's did far better. But I will still cook a box of that stuff and eat it. But life is more than that, isn't it? Life is more than my wife's good macaroni and cheese. Do you have a mind that is set on Christ because you realize that nothing else you do is going to solve the problem? You're not smart enough, you're not powerful enough to solve the problem you're facing. Okay? Your God is, and He loves you, believe it or not, more than you love yourself. But because we love ourselves, we don't want to have anyone else in the driver's seat. We have to turn away from God's importunities. He may have me say something that will get me hurt. I will get persecuted. I fear the pain because I'm worried. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? In the midst of our toil, in the midst of our responsibilities, in the midst of trying to make sure that little Johnny goes to college, it could all be taken. A fire could take it. A death could take it. Trusting the wrong person can take it. Why don't you be anxious about those things too? You say, I've never heard those stories ever. You mean a fire could happen? Do they have something like insurance for fire? Why, yes, they do. And I could give you a phone number. How about my life? I, I could be worried. Well, they have insurance for that too. You could go out and spend your days building a career out of your ability which doesn't exist to add an inch to your life. All the, all the commercials say, well, if you eat this, it adds, you know, five minutes to your lifespan. So people do it. The Lord doesn't think that's possible. That being anxious will add one cubit to your span of life. Cubits about that long. Some translations say one cubit to your stature. I think, I don't, I don't know what, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that way, like who's trying to get that much taller? You know, it's, or I would use worry to get there. If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So I wasn't trying to lengthen my life. Well, you got the rest. You can't do small things like extend your life. So why are you anxious about getting to the dentist? Why are you anxious about flossing? Why are you anxious, I don't know, you ladies, could you get together and make a list of all the things that it's possible to be anxious about? Dentists show up a lot. Because dentists, I really like them when they really solve a problem, but otherwise they're just in your life to sow seeds of 
concern. Would you like to come in for another appointment, Mr. Wilson? No. But we could, no. They tell you things. That's why you don't go to them. They tell you things. Like floss. And then you find out 20 years later, you know flossing doesn't do anything. Oh, great. It's like giving up the butter. I never gave it up. I'm the healthiest man alive. They, they sell you on everything. Everything in the world is being sold with anxiety. When our Lord teaches, you should be fearing the Lord, not being anxious about the rest. Now, you all know this. You probably have run across these passages before. You say, what Heaven, you're preaching to the choir, basically. And I am not recommending one direction or the other about whether you enjoy your food, whether you get a four-wheeler, whether you get, I don't know, what else could you get that's funny, a motorcycle? We're not here to mimic at being at peace. When people, when people mimic um, tranquility, they have ways of looking at it. I don't care about the things of this world, I give it all up. And they get on the saffron robes and they go sit cross-legged somewhere in, in your Kathmandu. It's a, it's, a, it's a look of this pious achievement. By denying yourself, but I don't recommend you deny yourself, I just recommend you stop being afraid that I should not be thinking of the first rule for the very calm wife is you should dine for taste, not for nutrition. Got that? See, but, but nutrition, I'm the mother, I'm in charge of nutrition. Yeah. You guys are living like, what, 300 years? No, you're not. You all die at the same time we do. I don't care if you're not in charge of nutrition. God gave you food to be thankful for. And if God is still in the picture, I could be thankful for it. I could go, that was a great meal. That tasted great. It was probably very bad for me, but who cares? Because my God is God, and he's the only one that can control how long I exist. Life is more than food, and you had better find where the life is. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, because <laughs> Jesus is this, he's not a, uh, a promise you everything guru. We're going to get all these good things and nothing bad. He says, you know, God arrays the flowers like this. And you know, we cut them down and throw them in the oven. Tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you? Oh, men of little faith. You're going to die too. But he cares for his work creation. He cares for you. But we're all dead meat. Oh, men of little faith. You know what it says of little faith? In some ways, they have amazing faith. It's just they're worshiping a different God. 
They're men of little faith because they don't, when they put it in God, don't realize how upended your life is going to become. You are stepping into the life. This is life. It's more than food. It's more than clothing. Our God, that we have faith in, sets us apart. So what we have to do is not pretend to be pious and pretend to be unconcerned and try to get enough counsel, especially if you're someone who struggles with anxiety, to, to talk you out of it. Talk yourself into Jesus Christ. This is about you and your walk with God, and this is not about your view of anxiety or whether you can solve it. Just assume that, yes, you do have the cancer. And yes, you do, and will be dead in five weeks. I know you could be worried about that. What if I'm dead? What if I die? Is my husband going to get married again? Yes, he's going to get married again. Let's solve these questions. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be of anxious mind. Got that? But I'm not recommending that you solve it by stopping either the anxiety or the cause of the anxiety. Thus can do sorts of people, well, anxious honey, I'll take care of it. Oh, thank you, dear. You, you got rid of the concern. You didn't grow spiritually, though, did you? Honey, we can't do anything about it. That four foot of water in the basement's going to be there till we die. Um, honey, that makes me a little concerned. And the husband can say, but we have Jesus, honey. What I'm recommending is not a particular process of dealing with the things that are killing you. Or not dealing with them, walking away from them, trying to be unconcerned. I'm saying, confess your fear. You've got to fix it. You were told not to be. It was, you were told it was ineffective. It didn't achieve anything. Your God was to be feared, and your own personal fears took you away from God. So even if you were successful like the rich fool, even though you were successful like the rich fool, it didn't actually solve the problem. He was dead tomorrow. The thing to repent of is your horror of pain and loss. You fear being without your pleasures, your loved ones, the way you designed the narrative of your life. You've got to take that to God and say, Lord, I had that little narrative that I was telling myself that I didn't want to lose and I had to do everything in my power to keep it going. I was turning away from you to attend to it, and consequently I have been in sin. Repent. Go before God and say, Lord, I, the fear is not legitimate. I'm tempted to be scared. I'm tempted to be responsible for it all. But I need to have him first. Because, it says, verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek these things. It's not saying, and all the nations of the world seek these things, and they're so wrong. No. They seek them because they're needed. You go out there and plant a field because it's needed. You invest your money because it's needed. 
you gotta, you gotta get on in life. It says, all the nations of the world seek these things, and your Father knows that you need them. We're not arguing over whether or not you should go to the dentist or enjoy your meal. But where your heart is, oh, it's the next verse. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things shall be yours as well. Our Lord is a perfectly benevolent God. If you could step away from your fear and anxiety and fear him, he is benevolent. You are a weakling, and you're not very bright. In arranging the things of life that will solve the problems of your life, your God, we've got a God that will come in and knows that we need these things and will care for us in them. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Provide yourselves with purses that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Warning the disciples, and I think it's for the disciples here, it's not saying, okay, you, every single man of you, needs to sell all your stuff, give the proceeds to the poor, and follow Christ. His disciples were going to do that, and he was going to watch over them. But the principle is still the same. He lets them know that the things we give up, the things we don't concern ourselves with, those are things that have in their nature the fallenness and futility and crime, dragging it away, moth eating it, rust destroying it. He says, you, you, you seek these other things, that's not touchable that way. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The biggest problem with this, everyone here, men and women who deal with anxiety or fear, you don't know how wrong it is. It's not just crippling for you. It's a flipping God off and saying, I'm willing to risk committing the unforgivable sin. I'm willing to deny my Lord. I'm willing to turn away from him because he is the thing to fear. I have to choose not to have him be the case. I have to fail in this major decision. I think I perhaps am a, you know, a person who just feels things strongly. No, you're evil. If you're anxious, it's evil. If you're fearful, it's evil. The Lord told you not to do that. And that where your treasure is, that's where your religion's going to be. That's where your basic faith is going to be. You're going to build Christianity that's based on, you know, Jesus, his name's hanging up around various things. But it won't be what our hearts are about. Because we're fixing, putting our treasure where it does not belong. Identify what your treasure is. Where you go to get it. Are you sorry that you have feared the things of this world that you had no effect on more than you feared God? Well, the clock is missing back there. It was off, and now it's gone. I'll have to check my watch. It's time for me to quit. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Help us trust you. Pursue you in your kingdom. We know, you know that we need these things. Help us 
Rejoice in them as they come into our lives. Keep us from trying to answer our lives with them. Lead us to death that we can die well. In your son's name, amen.